Welcome back to another episode of Say Who Say Pod. He is Danny O'Neill. I'm Christian Capel. Hopefully this one's publishing on Apple this morning. <laughs> Not like tomorrow. Oh. Thursday Thursday morning at 6 a.m. is the uh, the benchmark. So if it's uh, if it's Thursday at 6.05 and, and you're not seeing it in your feed, we got another problem. <laughs> uh, was that stressful last week? It wasn't stressful. It was just annoying. Yeah. You know, especially like so if you follow the podcast super closely, maybe you notice that it's it's now hosted on my Substack site on Montlake.com um, and is emailed directly to subscribers. Last week was not the first one after I switched it over though the week before was, and there were no hiccups with that. So I thought, Oh, okay, this went smooth on the back end. No one, no one noticed any interruptions We're we're good to go. And then it took uh, 32 hours for it to show up on Apple for some reason, but it was showing on the episode list, like on my account page on the back end <laughs> as published. So I'm like, what is, what is going on here? I hope, uh, I hope it was worth the wait. I hope so too. Uh, it's all of the different ways to distribute things are very exciting. It's also extremely frustrating when one of those things malfunctions because it's hard to troubleshoot. Um, yeah. So I'm glad that it got up on iTunes. I hope it didn't cause you too much stress. And I, I hope it just uploads directly this time. Yeah. And well, if it does, that should be your cue to go ahead and rate us, review us. 156 five-star ratings. Can't be wrong. Yeah. Give us five stars because if you only give us four stars, I'm inclined to think you're kind of like Jimmy Lake. <laughs> What's that? A hater? Yeah, maybe a little bit or yeah. negative. I was just trying to think. We've got a we've got a, a a discussion of Jimmy Lake coming up in a little bit. So I, I I don't know why I threw him out there. That's kind of a collateral damage. He's a, it, it's it will it'll be a good discussion a little bit later because he is a puzzling figure in Husky history. It's true. I've been interested and in, and well, I won't belabor this because we'll get into it. But it's been interesting to kind of see the. The reaction and, and some of the still negative feelings uh, people have toward him, despite the program, you know, headed back in the right direction this last year, reacting to his uh, his hire by the Rams to be the assistant head coach there. But uh, this is this is a Husky football podcast generally. But Danny likes basketball. I like basketball. There's some basketball news to discuss. We are in the middle of the NCAA tournament. Um, does does Keon Menefield returning? do anything for you. I thought he was a nice player to watch. He announced he's coming back. Braxton May is coming back. Frank Kapnong's coming back. Uh, a couple others in Cole Badgema has said he's coming back. Keon Brooks is uh, obviously the still big one, you know, the big one out there that everyone's kind of waiting on that I think the, the fortunes of their next season maybe hinge on a little bit. But are you? W- what do you make, first of all, I think it's been, what, a week plus since they announced Mike Hopkins was coming back. Uh, I, I think I can guess your reaction to that, but what do you make of so many guys kind of signing up and and jumping on board for this run it back thing next year? I think it's a really good sign for what they're going to be able to do next season. I don't know what that means for the long-term scope of the program, but I think there's a huge advantage in today's college basketball of getting a core group of guys who return. And I I think that that would, when you look at, they were competitive, they improved over the course of the season. I think there's a lot of reasons to think that, yeah, Washington should be in position to make the NCAA tournament next year. Like that, that shouldn't be uh, a a sort of an outsized task. And I think when you get a core group of guys that, that have, have that understanding, 
I think that's really good. I think that that them winning 20 games next year. Yeah, it, it really helps. Now, does that establish sort of a higher watermark for the, the program going forward? I, I don't know. There's a little bit of like that would be not a worst case scenario, but would you be better off long term by having a season that saves Hopkins job for another year or sort of ripping the bandaid off? Like, I think that's a decent discussion, but for the short-term prognosis, no, this is really good for Washington basketball next season. How much do you think they missed with Kepnong specifically being out this year? Because it, it did kind of seem going into this season like they were really, really high on their front court and that they yes. felt like they had, you know, a duo of seven footers, which is hard to hard you know, hard to find, who can both play. Um what what do you kind of make of his return and, and like how important do you think he is? specifically to to those efforts next year of getting back trying to get back to the tournament well i think it's a i i get what hopkins says which is look we thought we were going to have one of the best front courts in the country is what hopkins has said which i translate and say like one of the better front courts in the in the the west coast yeah that basically means like, yeah, they should be okay in the front court. Yeah, like this is like one of the most optimistic human beings alive. So, so yeah, did did it hurt him? And does that does that bode well for him going forward? Yes, but let's let's look at exactly what that style of play is going to look like. It is that, and this is my complaint about Hopkins. Man, is the offense, and I I don't know if they're ever going to have a competent offense under him. And I think I think players understand that. And maybe if that's the case, trying to get some size inside and being like, okay, we're really going to be an ugly grinded out team. We're not, we're not even going to try it. Maybe that works, but man, big dudes are inconsistent. Big dudes get hurt. And the second that a big dude is effective, he's, he's probably gone. Right. Like, so it's a, it's a, it's a very strange in between spot that the program finds itself. So yeah. It, did they did they miss having him? Yeah. Could he have changed it? Because he got could he have gotten him into the tournament? Yeah, maybe. But we're talking about getting into the tournament as one of the last teams in the Pac-12, as opposed. Like I don't think it makes it like oh you would have been a like you, you would have been a top twenty team if he's there. No, I don't think he's that kind of player. And it's very obviously tournament or bust. Like it's got to be when right? the AD says in her statement about bringing the coach back. First of all, when the AD puts out his statement saying the coach will be back next year. That's, yeah, that means it was close, or at least like they're aware that people were wondering. Yeah, you can't. It's hard to talk about this without without involving the other financial realities mm-hmm. of Washington's athletic department. And you had a post on Montlake.com that I thought did a really good job about saying that, like, look, it's there's a contractual reality here of Mike Hopkins' contract, and I would also say of the athletic department. They had. They had to nuke their head football coach a year and a half into his tenure. And they didn't even try to do the, the, what, what UConn attempted with Kevin Ollie or what St. John's is trying to do with Mike Anderson right now, which is fire the dude for cause, which they, I mean, I guess they could have tried to do that. I don't that know. Would have if been that's, the wrong, that would have been the wrong thing to do. I, I, I tend to agree with you. I, I tend to agree with you that like what he did, what he did would not have gotten him fired if the program was humming, right? Like hitting hitting a player's helmet would not have gotten him fired if 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 he was if Washington wanted to keep him as a head coach. And I always it looks cheap, like it looks bad when you try when a program tries to do it. 
That's sad. Mm. <laughs> but but I tend to agree with you. I I would not have I I would not have wanted them to try and go that route. I think there's long term damage that you do to yourself by coming off as a cheap program. But they had to nuke him really quick. And so what I've said is, I, Jen Cohen did that made that decision, man, and she deserves a lot of credit because I'll speak for myself. If she if the, if the outcome of that had been, look, this year's been awful, terrible things happened. We don't like how what happened in the exchange with the player in the Oregon game, but he's going to get a chance. Like we're going to, we're going to give him another year. I don't think I would have been like up and saying like the worst decision ever. And I think a lot of ADs would have made that decision. And in, instead she's like, no, I see where this is headed. We're making a change. And then she went out and hired a dude who's not only looks like an incredible hire at this point, but in another story that was published on Montlake.com, at the end of last week, they're paying a lot of money into the, the, the football staff. And if the price of getting football right is that I have to endure a year or two extra of Mike Hopkins' ridiculous like attempt to, to, to create a reasonable simile of a big college offense, if that's the price I have to pay, I'll, I'll pay it every day of the week. I, I'm absolutely down. But in most circumstances, if they hadn't had to make it, I don't think Hopkins, if they hadn't had to make a cha- the change they did in football, I don't think Hopkins would still have the job. It, uh, I think it would have made it more of a decision. I think as it yeah. was, there was no decision to make because of the money. Um, right, and like, right. It's part of what I laid out in, in that story is, you know, $9.9 million potentially. Well, it won't end up being won't end up being that much for Jimmy Lake because there'll be some offset. How much that'll be, we'll see. But, you know, $9.9 million for a football coach over three years into a a program, you know, a budget of whatever their reported expenses are. Um, but their, their revenue is going to be around $90 million or so brought in by the football program um, and higher if it's it's going well, you know, higher in years when it's going well. It helps with contributions. It helps with ticket sales, all that stuff. The basketball program in the 21-22 fiscal year reported a little more than $12 million in revenue. And so talking about paying over a two-year period an amount of money to buy out a head coach that's equivalent to a little more than half of your annual revenue brought in by Mm -hmm. the program it just doesn't pencil out. And like we've talked about this before. It it's basketball is in this strange space where the football program out earns it by such a dramatic amount and they spend you know every department spends so much more money on its football program than it does on basketball, but they can kind of feel like they're more I'm not saying they feel like equals as programs, but they feel more equal than what the dollar figures probably suggest because they're on TV all the time. And people mm-hmm. care, and it's it's interesting, and you know it's the the number two sport in college athletics. So I think people who are really into it get really frustrated and kind of see the direction of the program. And gosh, like has there been anything to indicate it's going to get better? I think last year was a step forward, right? I mean, they, it, it after winning, you know, what were they five and twenty one in the COVID well, season? So he's had he's had six seasons, right? mm Hmm. And he's had one really good season and one really bad season. And then four seasons that are 
kind of mid. Is that what the kids say these days? Well, I'd say one that was abjectly terrible. Yes. And then three that were... Well, I mean, but if you're saying four seasons that were kind of mid... Yes. Two of those seasons included a last place finish and a year where they only won five games. So No, I, no. No, he has... No, no, because he has he has six full seasons, right? There's the he, he the first year they come, he's the coach of the year because they bounce back, but they don't make the tournament. Then the second year, they're legitimately good, mm-hmm. and they're a good team. And and then the next year, they've got the two first round kids, and they finished in last place. Were they last place that year? They finished no. in last place. Really? Yeah, they did. It was not your typical last place team. But uh, oh, really? that was the, that was the year um, that was the year where they so their season was over because they got to play their first game in the Pac-12 tournament. Uh huh. Um, but then the rest of the tournament got canceled because of COVID, and the NCAA tournament didn't get played. But they finished in last place with a five and thirteen record. Oh, yeah. So that's terrible. That's yeah. You're right. So that that is not mid. Is that, yeah, that is. That's a bad because of who you had, too. You had two first-round picks. That's That season is the tipping point, right? Like, that season is the point where you're like, okay, if that's what that offense looks like when he's got two first-round picks, I'm not sure what happens. And then the next year is the season where they win five games total. And that's the point where you're like, I have no idea how they conceptually thought that that season they were going to have a Pac-12 caliber program. Like, whatever, I'm not sure what sort of way they thought that was going to work. Because it it just wasn't. And then the, the past two years, they've been they've been competitive. But it's been competitive in this sort of way of they play better defense as the year goes along, and they're, 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 they're viable, but they don't, they don't know what they're doing on offense. Like it's 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 a really it's a brutal watch to watch that team play on offense. So I I think if you I think if you weren't in a situation where you felt like hey our football team we, we had to take a major step back so we could take a step forward I, I'm I'm not sh- I don't know if he'd be coming back for another one. Um, it, in some ways it's it's a little bit of. He had so much success so early, and it's kind of like Rick Neuheisel, except Neuheisel's tenure got cut short because of the debacle that happened. And Mike Hopkins is a super nice and honest guy, and it's just now that he's responsible for getting his, his own players, and it, it's just not working on offense. What does an offensive turnaround look like? Like, is it, is it completely dependent on Keon Brooks deciding to come back for his last year? And is that enough? Like, do they... Because... At present, and there's still a number of guys who haven't decided, right? Like Noah Williams has a year left, and he he could he could come back or go or whatever. Um, but as it is, Langston Wilson has transferred out. Yep, Jackson Grant has transferred out, and Jamal Bay is out of eligibility. They've got two guys in this current recruiting class set to come in: Wesley Yates and the kid from uh, Seattle Prep, Christian King. Who's who? What position do you prioritize in the portal? Do you try to go out and get a really good veteran point guard? Do you think that's that's what's missing? That would certainly help. 
I think that's probably the most important thing. But I also look at it, what you'd really want to have is, I mean, what everybody's looking for, right, is a dynamic wing. And if you're a dynamic wing and you had options, why would you come to Washington? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that, that's the issue that they're at right now because they've gotten the players that they've gotten to transfer in have been guys that have wanted a Pac-12 shot, right? And But they're not players that are sort of should be a... They're a higher offensive option at Washington than they should be at a Pac-12 program. And, and I think that that relates to, again, players looking at what happened specifically in that season where Jaden McDaniels and Isaiah Stewart and, and, and watching how that offense worked with two guys that were first-round talents and that being like... Why, why, would you, why would you choose to go into that offense? Um, in terms of their, their future, yeah, they get Keon. I think that they're going to be good enough to make the tournament next year. I just don't know if that's sort of, does that mean that they're going to raise the overall level of the program? Or is it just going to be like once every three or four years, you get a group of guys that have stuck around a little bit together and they play that really, really tough defense that I'll give them credit. Like they do. Some of it's because they're cowards and play zone, like the, <laughs> the cowards crutch of zone defense. But they played but less this year, right? He, yeah, but it's still like you can, I hate zone, man. I don't like, like watching I, it either. <laughs> it's, but they, they, it works like that. That defense totally works. And the way that they, and it's not a lazy zone. Like they do get out. Like there are things about it that when you get a group and it's clear that Hopkins knows how to teach guys how to play that zone defense, like, and they get better at it. And it's a problem. So yeah, you can make it. It's just, is that what you want for the program? And maybe the answer is yes. Like may, maybe it is. Look, this school, they went 11 straight years without making a tournament. Like 11 straight years, not that long ago, like 87 and 97. 11 straight seasons without making the tournament. It spanned three coaches. Russo, Lynn Nance, who didn't make it at any of his four seasons, and Bender, who didn't make it until I think his fifth season. So maybe this this is what it is. But it's not... It's, it's not good. I, so I had a moment yesterday, Christian. Hmm. I've been laughing about Rick Pitino getting hired at St. John's. Like it, I think it's really funny. Like especially because they're they're trying to fire the guy. Have you seen this? Yeah, they tried. They tried to fire Mike Anderson. <laughs> and he's like, wait a second. <laughs> they fired him, and like they're trying to fire him for cause, which is lame because. If you want to fire a guy, fine, fire him. And he's been there like four years. But part of the reason that they're trying to fire him is because he said he reflected poorly on the institution. I'll read a, a quote, <laughs> failure to perform your duties and responsibilities in a manner that reflected positively on St. John's University, end quote. And then you what does hire, that mean? And then you go hire Rick Petito. <laughs> <laughs> Here at uh, here at Texas A and M, we expect our offensive coordinators to comport themselves in a certain way, and welcome <laughs> our new hire, Bobby Petrino. Everybody, exactly. That's exactly. So, <laughs> but there was a moment where I was like, I kind of wish we were making. I kind of wish Washington was making a Faustian bargain, where they're like, "Yes, he's a scuzzball. So he's a seventy-year-old man who was blackmailed by a woman." He had an after-hours tryst with in a Louisville steakhouse, and then paid for her uh, to to have 
a pregnancy terminated, uh, but he really can coach basketball. <laughs> and I don't know if I'd actually feel that way if it was going to be Patino. Like if, if I was like, okay, he really is going to coach Washington. But there was a moment it was like, well, I'd kind of be excited because that dude can coach. <laughs> like, you know you're going to get some players. And instead they're just like, oh, Mike Hopkins is really nice and his players try really hard. And yeah, they might get to the tournament next year, but like, there's no sizzle to that. I will, I will remind you. I remember this, but we, we did an episode during the whole football coaching search. And this, I want to make very clear, this was never on the table or explored or an option or anything. But I remember just throwing out to you at the time, because these two train wrecks were kind of coinciding, was like, hey, let's, let's you know, you're, you're a big Washington fan. Let's say you wake up tomorrow morning and you, open, you pick up your phone and the first thing you see is that Washington's deep into talks with Urban Meyer to make him their football coach. <laughs> And you said that was you said you would cancel your season tickets. You said you would yeah. not. Re- I believe you said you would not renew your season tickets if they hired Urban Meyer. Is it different for basketball because you, you you're just always going to feel like they can make a really good hire for the football program and they don't need to go that route? Or has it just been so long since they put a product on the floor that you want to watch that you, 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 you your mind is drifting to Rick Pitino? There's a, some of the former of what you said about is like Washington. Washington has enough history in football and facilities. Like, I don't think the idea of getting an elite coach for Washington is is a pipe dream. Like, I, I think there are some fans that get carried away with how good they think the job is, but in general, like. I don't think you need to make moral hedges to get a really good coach for Washington football. I think you do it Washington basketball. <laughs> so it's just pragmatic, man. <laughs> hey, fair and enough. I don't I don't I, judge. And here would be the other part of it. College basketball is seedy. Yes. Like it is <laughs> it, it is just seedier than football. And I'm not saying football's pure as the driven snow or anything like that, but college basketball and youth basketball is just filthy. Like there's, there's just no way of getting around it. Um, so in some ways, I think it's a, a point of degree. One of the things I always loved about Lorenzo Romar, and this is probably one of the reasons that I, I held on to the very bitter end of not wanting to let go of him, because I loved how Laro ran things like i i really did um i and he was a unique fit with the school because of his history here like i didn't even mind the fact he didn't swear um i love loro but he is such an outlier in in that in that overall industry it's just it's just seedy man (laughs) yeah it's uh did you the, the la times had a had an update have you followed that ballers investigation it actually applies to patino he was kind of the first casualty of it not really no so what everybody refers to as the fbi investigation that sort of led to a bunch of assistant coaches went to jail a couple shoe executives went to jail um a guy named christian dawkins who was an agent um and is going to be an agent again uh went to jail but it was it was an FBI investigation. That thing is so flawed, and it's what brought down Patino. 
he wasn't mentioned in the FBI report when they announced the charges they'd filed, but it was very clear from their report that a school matching Louisville's description had or arranged for the payment of Brian Bowen to, to a recruit who was Brian Bowen. He wasn't named in the thing, but it was Brian Bowen of $100,000. And, and Patino was like, I don't know anything about that. And Patino didn't give him the money. Like It came from Adidas, which was the shoe sponsor. But Patino absolutely knew what was happening. But the whole, the whole thing was this investigation in search of a crime. Breaking NCAA rules on amateurism is not violating the law. Like, it's breaking amateurism rules. And they turned it into this big, massive investigation. And then it turned out the guy who was running the investigation, the, the, the big college basketball coaches convention is in Las Vegas. And the FBI goes there as this benefactor that's giving money to this agent who is then giving the money, cash money, to the assistant coaches. And the agent doesn't want to do this. He's like, this is a stupid way to spend money. Like, these guys don't have that much influence. Like, he says to him on an FBI wiretap, we might as well go spend it on hookers and strippers as opposed to giving it to these coaches. And the, the guy the, who is, unbeknownst to the agent, an FBI agent, an undercover agent, says, no, this is the way we're going to do it. We're going to give it to assistant coaches. So they're giving cash to these assistant coaches in las vegas some of these coaches are then turning around and giving that cash money back to the agent <laughs> like it's 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 they're not actually taking the money because they that's not how recruiting violations work like that those guys it, the the shoe executives are giving and the agent wannabes are the ones that are giving the money to them. the the agent supervising all of this proceeds on the last day of the investigation or one of the days of the investigation to get hammered and he takes $13,000 that's part of this cash money that's being used to distribute to the coaches. And he goes down and gambles it away and loses $13,000 of FBI money. And then gets moved off of the case. And they go to extreme lengths. They don't tell any of the people that got charged, any of these guys that went to jail. Like they didn't, they didn't know even who this agent was was and couldn't introduce the fact that your honor as part of this investigation and so the la times story identified the agent about a week and a half ago but it's just it's just seedy man it's just seedy yeah um i i read a seth davis had a long profile of book richardson the yeah. uh, the arizona assistant who went to jail as part of that he's coaching out here in manhattan or over in brooklyn now i think that's right yeah um and kind of his climb back and i just thought like you know, he broke the rules and you get, you know, you get into this business and you do things a certain way. You get what you get. But I'm like, oh, out of this whole industry, this whole like CD, the, the way that college basketball set up and all the money changing hands and all the agents and all the runners and all the coaches who know this stuff's going on and all this stuff. I'm like, this is the guy, this guy lands in jail. Yeah. Like you nailed an assistant coach. It, was, it just seemed, it just seemed kind of like, Really? It's that, awful. That was the result of this? It was It was a bunch of young black assistant coaches. No head coaches. A couple of head coaches lost their jobs. Patino got fired. Um, the dude at uh, LSU, Will Wade, ended up getting fired. Sean Miller got fired in Will, Arizona. Will Wade, who was pre-suspended at his new job. <laughs> dude, <laughs> he's at McNeese State. 
I, 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 straight up wouldn't mind Will Wade either. Um <laughs> being honest uh you're uh five five coaches the huskies should consider calling if, if a change is made <laughs> it's gonna be a fun one look you're not gonna get that good a coach unless he's got some he's, he's a little rough around the edges <laughs> by the way like i feel like a buddy brought this up to me the other day has has any or maybe i saw it on twitter has any co- like quote-unquote disgraced coach ever bounced back the way that bruce pearl has no no he didn't he didn't even have to go overseas or anything. It's it's pretty incredible. I remember when I was covering Wazoo and it was kind of like will they or won't they with Ken Bone and a, the buyout there was a buyout that was a consideration there too. People were bringing up Bruce Pearl. That like, well, they went the Mike Leach route with football, yeah. you know, and for for Wazoo to get somebody like Mike Leach, he kind of needed to have a fall from grace. Of course, his had nothing to do with running a foul of the NCAA. Um, you know, they, that kind of coach was going to be a really good fit for them. And I remember people throwing out Bruce Pearl. I think it was when he still had the show cause on him Uh huh. or maybe it was expiring or something. And they were like, yes, like this is, you know, Wazoo is like the perfect place for him. That's the perfect, like get back in, you know, get back in the game and, you know, bring in some awesome players and, and maybe that, you know, you'll have a, a fun couple of years while he rehabs his image and moves on to the next thing. But, uh, he, yeah, it, it's like that never happened. It's very interesting to see the coaches or the schools that will take shots on that. Like, very clearly, Auburn doesn't flinch from that, right? I mean, they got Hugh Freeze <laughs> as the head coach of their football team. Like, there's, but it's it's really interesting to see. And there's something. It's not admirable, but at least it's authentic of just being like, yeah, okay, like with Patino. Like it's very like that dude can coach. I, I don't I don't care. Like th- this isn't this isn't about he he succeeds because he cheats in recruiting and gets players. Like yeah, it it certainly helps the programs that he's been at to get the caliber of talent that he does. But he's taken three different programs to the Final Four. He's won a national championship at two different schools, though one of them had to be vacated subsequently. He can really coach. And just saying, like, with St. John's, like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll go for that. There's something that, like, okay, at least that's straight up. Like, New York City with Rick Patino coaching, I don't know how long he's going to do it, but I think it's going to turn out pretty well. If, if he's still a philandering egotist, it might end up looking very poorly. But, I, I mean, I, it's a Jesuit school, so I suppose that there's a certain amount. Actually, I'm not sure if it's a Jesuit school. Um being a being a, a a Catholic university provides a certain amount of they can just cast him out if it doesn't pan out. Like at least it's a little bit. Eh, there's 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 no bones being made about it. Like uh, Auburn is very willing to cut some corners. Uh, Saint John's is Roman Catholic. Oh, it is. It's not not Jesuit. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know like the difference on some. Of oh, those Jesuit, things, despite oh, being despite being raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Jesuit is a little uh, denomination. They're the they're the progressive wing of the Catholic Church, I guess is how I would generally describe them. Uh, uh, did you see Patino went the Dion route in his press conference? I did. Are people going to have the same? Are are people going to have the same level of antagonism toward Dion or toward Patino as they did for Dion? Uh, I mean, I think the answer is is no. First and foremost, because it's 
college basketball compared to college football. There's just more there's more eyeballs on Dion. But you know, well, there's I know that people are are uh, wondering that for a very different reason, and I think that's also a a valid uh, a valid thought. Yeah. Also, Dion landed a Danny O'Neill. He did. Yeah. Congratulations to Danny O'Neill, four star recruit from Cathedral High Cathedral. School in Indianapolis. Uh, I'm not sure he's, if, a, he's a three-star recruit. Sorry, oh, he's it, a three-star. Maybe in time, Danny. We'll see if he if he blossoms. That was I was I was interested to see that. Like that's a quarterback recruit. That that seemed that seemed very uh, aggressive for Dion to to land something like that. It's got a lot of offers. Yeah, he did have a fair amount of offers. Uh, and he spells it the same. One L. He does. Maybe he'll be the second Danny O'Neill to start in a Rose Bowl. Yeah, we can only hope. Do you know that Stacy Rost? Have you heard this? That Stacy Rost at one point thought I was that Danny O'Neill. <laughs> I feel like I, I. Now that you say that, I feel like I did hear that at some point. That's funny. Yeah, she made the comment. <laughs> it kind of like, makes sense, right? No, it doesn't make any sense at all. If you've seen me physically, like there's no there's no way you could look at me and think that I had I, I had started in a Pac-12 football program at quarterback. It's impossible. And that was what Stacy had said was she's like, well, mo- most of us haven't played except for Brock and Danny. And Curtis Rogers looked at her and she's like, Danny O'Neill. And she's like, well, yeah, he was a quarterback at Oregon. No. <laughs> oh, you should have just gone with it. Yeah, I probably would have. I, I do get I would say once a year I get an email from somebody who thinks I'm him and I'm always tempted to completely lean into it and just slag the University of Oregon. I mean, like I have, I want nothing to do with that school at all, and I wouldn't lie. I just wouldn't correct them of their their mistaken assumption. <laughs> but that Danny O'Neill, who I've talked to before, is is way too nice. What was um was he amused that you guys have the same name? Not as much as I was. Like it was, it was, it wasn't quite as indifferent as the time that I asked Shaquille O'Neal if he would pretend we were brothers, since our last names sounded alike, even though they weren't spelled alike. Um, he wasn't as unamused or unengaged as Shaquille, but he it, it wasn't it wasn't the funniest thing he'd ever seen. Like I said to Shaq, I was like, it could be like the Danny DeVito Arnold Schwarzenegger thing, only there'd also be a, a, a cultural element. And he just just stared straight at me. He goes, "No, <laughs> okay, thanks, Shaq." Well, you tried. I did. Should we uh, should we get to our fun our fun new question? We should. We have a friend of the show. He's actually a friend of the program on Montlake.com. Uh, Ian had contacted us about, so we're, we're going to try something different. It's worth a conversation. That's the name of the feature. It's also something we want to sort of plug into your mind uh, about Ian because he and his team, they're essentially a no-risk executive sales team. And they're locking down the key customer that allows you to scale or license your product and continue to grow without the headache of sales and marketing. And here's the thing that they basically can talk to you and have a conversation about what you might be looking to bring to market and finding solutions and opportunities that minimize your upfront investment. So if you've got something that you're looking to take to the market, it's worth a conversation. And you can reach Ian at ipmcfarland.com. And I like to say the website, ipmcfarland.com. McFarland, mcfarland.com. 
And his question. I'm in Los Angeles, guys. So my context for this might be skewed toward my own experiences. But I was thinking last week when Jimmy Lake was hired by the Rams. What's his context in, in the greater world of Husky coaches? This is not Tyrone Willingham. This is not a guy who only did negative things. He did a lot of positive things at the University of Washington prior to being, in, being head coach. And in 2021, before the Montana game, he had a very favorable rating among, among Husky fans. Two months later, he, or two and a half months later, he was very deservedly fired. But where does his legacy sit? In my mind, it's well above Willingham and it's well above John Donovan, who did no good. But will we remember the positive over time or the negative? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not even worth mentioning Tyron Willingham in that discussion. Um, they're, they're, they're so not even in on the same plane, in my mind. Um, you know, Tyron Willingham was the head coach at Washington for four seasons and absolutely torpedoed a program that had... Yeah, hadn't hadn't been real long since they'd gone to a Rose Bowl when he took it over. He did not take it over in that condition, but I mean, it, Jimmy Lake's contributions to to UW football are so above and beyond anything that Tyron Willingham did that it's like it, it to me it just goes without saying. Like, of course, it's it's above Tyron Willingham. It's gonna help Jimmy that a it was short. His tenure was short, and that the next guy was so good right away. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, like one of the, One of the real problems with Tyrone is that he left the program hollowed out. Like, it took, it took a long time and for, for the talent level of the program to bounce back. And that, that, wasn't, that wasn't necessarily the case with Jimmy Lake in part because of what Kalen DeBoer and his staff were able to do last season, but also just, he wasn't in charge of it for that long. Um, but it's hard. I have a, I have a really negative view of Jimmy Lake. Like I, I really do. And it's not, it's not at the same like teeth grinding anger that I have, but I guess I kind of pin like, no, Jimmy Lake wasn't as bad as John Donovan, but he hired John Donovan. Like he wanted that. And there's a certain amount of be careful what you wish for, Jimmy Lake, of like if you're going to have a swagger like that and you and you kind of trip and fall on your face, it's harder to have sort of compassion or sympathy for that because you're like, dude, you kind of came in here believing that like you were going to be the the taking this program to the next level and you just you wrote a check your butt couldn't cash. Yeah. Um, I think you should be appreciative for what he did for their defensive backfield for six seasons under Chris Peterson. He was responsible for a lot of guys hearing their name called early in the NFL draft. When you think about the Chris Peterson era, you know, if you were just to do like a, like a focus group and say among Husky fans, Hey, Chris Peterson's tenure, Husky football from 2014 to 2019, just throw out words and terms that come to mind. Like some someone's gonna say DBU pretty pretty early on in that exercise. And Jimmy Lake was obviously a huge part of that. So like if you enjoyed that that period of Husky football, 
you need to have some sort of positive opinion of Jimmy Lake. Obviously, the 2021 season erased a lot of that for a lot of people. Um, but like you said, it was much more a case of a head coach with a pretty talented roster making a number of really critical errors, starting with his offensive coordinator hire, that uh, that caused a, a a far more talented team than its its final record indicated to to go four and eight. Um, Kalen DeBoer coming in and immediately turning things around can, yeah, I think as far as public opinion of Jimmy Lake goes, that can go one of two ways, right? It can make it a lot easier to move on from that and to, you know, see him get hired by the Rams and think, oh, you know, good for him. He's moved on. Washington's moved on. You know, I wish him, I wish him the best. Um, but I think at least early on last season, it also, you know, like after the Michigan state game and they're three and oh and then four and oh and they're throwing the ball over the place and the offense is obviously really good i think i think you saw some reaction that was like man what were they doing last year yeah. you know so i think some people it, it sent some people that direction too ultimately it the, like it sent me that direction like yeah. that's very much how i feel like i don't i don't necessarily i don't know if i want him to fail with the rams like i'm not, I'm not that level of 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 acrimony but I'm not really, I'm not invested or like, oh, I hope things work out for him too. Because it just seems like he didn't know what he was doing running a program. Yeah, well, that combined with the hubris of believing 100% that he did. Yeah. Right? Like that was that was really his downfall. Not surrounding himself with people who kind of had the experience to, to check him and, you know, seeking ideas from from others like you know I know big deals been made that he didn't didn't really talk to Chris Peterson anymore and um you know the the run the damn ball had and yeah, you know he was very idea. stubbornly about what he wanted and you know you you saw what that led to you mentioned like the idea of him failing with the Rams or whatever I don't think we even know what that would look like right because what what exactly is he going to be responsible for yeah no, it wouldn't like failing with him. It wouldn't. It would be a matter of he starts bouncing around and never sticks anywhere. Like that's when an an, an assistant coach in the NFL, like usually, like you don't you don't get singled out quite like that in in terms of your unit being evaluated. But he's clearly working in a different sort of environment now with sort of outside what his his general network has been. Um, but the Rams are going to be rebuilding, like they're going to get younger. So I don't, I don't see it. It's, it's not a, it's not a high visibility position, right? Like, but I don't think so, but it's not really clear because he's not yeah. coaching. He's not coaching a position group, right? Right. It's, it's kind of to see where he fits in there. Um, that's what I would guess He's he's with a pretty young, capable head coach and Sean McVay. Um, yeah, it's still. Did I think he's ever... got his 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 optimal fit in the NFL. Like, yeah. I, th- I think he'll stay in the NFL. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I, that kind of seemed to be what he coveted, right? I think there was some thought that he could, you know, he could win big at Washington in that window with the talent that they had, and and maybe sort of use that to. I know people were kind of already speculating, like as much as he talks about the NFL and watches the NFL and you know he relied on his NFL connections 
to make his offensive coordinator higher, and he really liked that like John Donovan had spent some time in the NFL and all all this. I think people thought that like a couple good years could make him an NFL head coaching candidate, and that like if he were going to leave Washington in short order, that would be what it would look like. So I, I kind of think now that he's gotten back in at that level, which is what I expected. Um, you know, if, if if he's part of the Rams kind of rebuilding ahead of schedule and like helping bring that franchise along, maybe he gets looked at for some, some other opportunities, whether it's, you know, I don't know if a DB coach job would be a step forward or step back from what he's doing right now. Cause his, his actual role is kind of unclear, but you know, maybe he'd, he'd get a chance to be an NFL defensive coordinator at some point. It's very possible. He's working for Raheem Morris now, uh, who has been a head coach. I'll I'll be interested to see where where that where that goes. Um it's generally been harder for defensive oriented. It's been hard for any coach to make the leap from from college to pro. When it happens it generally is somebody on the offensive side of the ball. Um Pete Carroll being clearly an exception, but I would say that Pete's kind of the the outlier in a lot of different regards. I'll be I'll be interested to see because a big a big part of of success in the NFL is being able to sort of maintain uh, good relationships with other coaches, <laughs> right? Right. Like you have to part of, part of surviving on a coaching staff is being somebody that is is capable of of getting along with other people. Um, there are some guys that I've known that that generally don't have that and tend to, they're still such good coaches that they, they tend to get a lot of jobs and they just bounce around a lot more. I'll be interested to see w- how things go for, for him in the NFL and if that, is, if that is somewhere that he is able to find a foothold and start moving up the ladder and become, whether it's a position coach and then start to be a defensive coordinator. But um, yeah, it's weird. I, before that, before the loss to Montana, did you have any idea that the bottom might be dropping out? No, I picked him to go ten and two that year. Yeah, which I I feel like is I I have to like wear that at every opportunity. So there, like I I thought that they looked really good in training yeah. camp, and, I, and like we had Jackson Kirkland on the podcast. You know, like I I feel like the Montana loss kind of took him by surprise too. I think they had a lot of really positive momentum going into that year that Dylan Morris looked sharp um their defense was fine you know they didn't they didn't defend the run very well and there's the whole chicken or the egg debate well did did teams just not throw it against them because they didn't have to or because their pass defense was really that good but um obviously the offense was was the big issue and it's you know it's not like they were getting blown out every week either no right like they weren't that far away from being like a seven or eight win type of team if they'd just been okay offensively <laughs> they were not okay they were n- no the <laughs> offense was not okay it was not even close to okay uh that is it's worth a conversation which is brought to you by ian mcfarland you can check him out at ipmcfarland.com again it's worth a conversation with him if you've got something that you're looking to bring to market um, or just someone to have a conversation with about opportunities I wanted to try something else, Christian, a little bit of what I'm going to call quick game. And I'm going to I'm going to hop through a couple of different topics. And we're going to start out with a piece of news out of Alabama, out of kind of the Alabama, Florida corner of the country. Defensive back Tony Mitchell. Have you followed this story? I have. Yeah. Initially seen going 78 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone. 
His passenger then told him to punch it, which he did, eventually clocked at 141 miles an hour before police lost visual contact. They did finally catch up to him. They found a significant amount of marijuana in the car, just under eight ounces, like $7,000 cash and a nine millimeter handgun. Here's my question. How long before we hear the discussion regarding NIL deals and cars that are provided for the use of college athletes? Jalen Carter, uh, was he was pulled over and cited for, I believe, going 89 in a 45 last September. Then he was involved in the wreck. Or not involved in the wreck. He was present and allegedly racing at the time of the wreck in which someone at Georgia, one of their... Uh, members of their football operations was sadly killed as well as a player. How far are we away from kind of the moral panic of these players can't be given cars that go that fast? Mitchell was in a Dodge charger. Yeah. I've already seen some of it. Yeah. Like people saying, Hey, well, what do you, what do you expect? You you hook them up with these cars, uh, which is a, a ridiculous take. I mean, you, as a head coach and, support staff and everything like obviously that's behavior that you need to work to correct um and to reinforce like why that's not okay for a number of different reasons right it wasn't just the wasn't just the speeding in in the the instance of the alabama defensive back but um the the nil car thing it's such a non-factor non-discussion for me not that it won't turn into one (laughs) it's going to it's going to so fast i i agree with you like the, the idea of, I think that this is something that the, the market will take care of. And if you, if you, if a car dealership decides to provide an athlete with the use of a car, uh, they do so knowing very well the possibility that if that athlete goes super fast in that really fast car, that might not bring them the type of attention that they were looking for. The kind of, the, the kind of exposure. Like that's one of those. Here's the other thing I want to make very, very clear. If someone objects to a scholarship athlete being provided with the use of a car because of the danger that car poses. That individual cannot oppose firearm restrictions. That's a good <laughs> like point, you, yeah. You, you, you can't, because I can already see how it's lining up. And in general, the people who are going to be loudest about Scholarship athletes shouldn't get this this type of cars. They should only be provided minivans. Minivans. There should be a governor on the speed of the cars. Like all of that thing's gonna be. No Hemis are allowed under NIL. Like all of the that's any conversation like that. That person can't be like Second Amendment. Come take my guns from my dead hands because it's the same thing, right? Like cars don't speed. People speed. Right. I, that's the same. That's the same thing. I would add it. It's, it is possible to speed in a minivan. <laughs> Oh, did I ever t- there's I think yeah, it's statute of limitations is far enough gone out. Uh I was talking to Nick Collison about um there was a well, Drew Gooden went to the same school he did, Kansas. Played basketball there. And I was talking to Nick about something else and I knew I knew I knew some of the people that uh represented Drew Gooden and and I asked Nick about Drew and what he was like to play with. And Nick had some very funny observations. And then I was like, uh, something like, how do they take care of basketball players at Kansas? <laughs> and 
it. And Nick looks at me and just goes, no, that's what it was. I'd heard what car Drew Gooden had in college. And Nick looked at me and said, well, I was driving my mom's minivan. So that tells you that we weren't getting it from the school. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was just the funniest sort of like, I'm not saying who provided that. I'm just saying that that was not a beneficiary provided to Kansas Jayhawk uh, basketball players from the basketball program because he was a better player than Drew Gooden. And Drew Gooden was not driving his mom's minivan. Minivans, they they serve their purpose. Like I remember, so we had a, two different Astro vans growing up. I believe in 87 and then like a 99. Uh-huh. Remembering right. My sister drove the 87. That was like her high school car. I had my grandpa's 1987 Nissan Sentra when I was in high school. Um, and then a Chrysler New Yorker after the Sentra was totaled in a hit and run accident. Oh no. Um, occasionally I would drive the old 87 Astro van to school and when I did that, my friends were all very excited because, one, it had the two captain's chairs in the second row, and that was a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, I could just pile everybody in there and roll on down to Burger King and, you know, use that. They had some weird, like, Star Wars coupon promotion going on or something. <laughs> you, could, you could roll deep in those things. Our next topic, Christian, goes to the fine state of Oregon. And this was, I saw in Jan- John Canzano's uh Substack newsletter, and he referenced there is a House bill that has been proposed, HB 2472. And this relates to, if you remember last year when uh, Oregon played BYU, there there was an expletive chanted uh, referencing the faith of that, referencing Mormons. And this was frowned upon. In fact, the University of Oregon, it should be pointed out, uh, apologizes. The University of Oregon, this is their tweet, sincerely apologizes for an offensive and disgraceful chant coming from the student section during yesterday's game against Brigham Young. However, this proposed law would suspend the head coach and athletic director for a week if fans, quote, engage in the use of derogatory or inappropriate names, insults, verbal assaults, profanity, or ridicule in violation of equity-focused policies, end quote. Yeah, um, I think it was totally proper for the University of Oregon to handle it the way they did at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, would uh, would be in favor of of uh, reprimand for the students involved if that were possible for them to to identify. Uh, this feels like lawmakers just making laws for the sake of it. I don't I don't see how you can hold a head coach and athletic director responsible for something like that. Just, this doesn't go far enough. You think in my, so? In my in my opinion, I, I believe specifically if the fans at Autzen Stadium, if anybody swears, I I I believe that they should disband the athletic department entirely. Mm, like, also I think a fair that point. They're, they're, really, like talk about living up to the code of higher education. If there's any cursing at all, audible cursing, the the athletic department should be disbanded henceforth. The facilities turned over to the intramural <laughs> department or let Gonzaga field a football team using the stadium. <laughs> <laughs> this is a Gonzaga football podcast. <laughs> I do. I do really want the Gonzaga football podcast. Like I was reading it. I, I can't believe that that's really being proposed. <laughs> can, can you imagine like you have to be responsible for what students chant at a game? Like that's that's absurd. 
Like that's so crazy. Yeah. I, like John John writes, I half believe the bill is a test to see if lawmakers read what's put on their desks. Like what I think what, that puts it pretty well. I it's insane. And I guess maybe that's just a general thing that's happened to me is that I've understood like how low the bar is for people who become an elected official, like what they actually like think is important. Or it's just like somebody took the time to decide like what we really need to do is threaten to suspend a coach and athletic director because of something students chanted like that. That's, that's insane. Looking at it charitably. Um, I could maybe see some merit to the thought that like, Hey, the abusive language coming from college students at sporting events is too much. It goes way too far. And that, you know, that can be, that can be harmful and damaging. And so maybe yes. I, I could see somebody in a, in a, a lawmaking position saying, Hey, is this, is this totally the right way to do it? Is this, even have any chance of getting through? Probably not. But like, let, let me at least bring some attention to the fact that, you know, this is an aspect of college athletics. I think we would all like to see change, but it's, yes. it's a, it's a bad bill. You can't kick them out. the head coach and the AD for that. Kick, kick the students out. Like talk about, yeah, like, totally. it is, like, Absolutely. Like that you'd and especially when it comes to the idea of specifically for me, religious or racial prejudice, like absolutely like there's no there's no space for that. But the idea that the head coach and the athletic director are personally responsible for what I was like, oh, this it's, it takes nanny state to a different level where I was like, no, kick the kids out, kick, kick, get, find out, find out who did it. You want to cut off alcohol sales like that's. That would be something that actually might impact it. I'm going to tell you that it, the objections that you're going to get are not from the media or people like me. Like it's going to be uh, other fans who want to drink during the game that are going to get really mad about it. But uh, yeah, I, I found I found that uh, very entertaining. And the final note in our quick game is going to go back to Rick Pitino. Um, do you think he gets St. John's to the final four? Hmm. I'm just going to say, yeah. He's 70 years old. He's, he's going to Rick... be recruiting in New York City with a portal. He's Rick Pitino. He is Rick Pitino. Rick Pitino see... gets teams to the Final Four. Did you see Luke Karnasek showed up at his hiring? I did. I saw the photo of them together. Good Lord. I was like, man, he's 98. He's 98. <laughs> the uh, the thing, about, like, you don't have to be one of the four best teams in the country to get to the Final Four either. No, you don't. Nope. So... You know, get, put a put a roster together with a bunch of dudes and get into the tournament. And Rick Pitino's on the sideline with the kind of guys who Rick Pitino can recruit. Yeah, I could see St. John's being back in the Final Four, like for sure. Yeah. Do you like the fact that he's got the job at St. John's? Does it make your skin crawl? Like, how is what's your reaction to it? I do not care um, yeah. at all. Like we touched on this earlier, college basketball is what it is. It's kind of yeah. gross. And schools are going to hire who they, they think they need to hire to put themselves back on the map. And he's been out of the game a while. Um, time heals everything, right? <laughs> I shouldn't say he's been out of the game. He's been coaching. No, no he's been he's, at Iona. He's been but coaching. Like he, went... he hasn't been on the... Uh, yeah, but... He hasn't I mean, been he's... on the biggest stage. No. 
It was understood basically of like when he got that job, it was, I mean, I, he even said it was going to be his last job. I don't think anybody thought he would be able to come back. I think the only reason he's able to come back is because in retrospect, people have decided that that FBI investigation was a crock. Like that the whole thing, like that is much ado about nothing. Like that was an investigation in search of a crime. It also was never to... even kind of the worst thing Rick Pitino's done. <laughs> No, it wasn't at all. Like, they were just sick of him, though, right? Because, like, Will Wade and Sean Miller, like, Arizona, like, they hung in for him. Like, as soon as that came out and they knew that it was Patino's program they were talking about, Louisville's, like, gone. We stuck with you through the steakhouse thing. Then, through the fact that one of your assistants hired female companionship for to entertain recruits. <laughs> and, and Rick Pitino's like, I had no idea. I, 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 I had no idea that happened. I was looking at it. Do you know how they found out about that? I don't remember, no. The madam wrote a book. Oh, that's right. That, <laughs> no, I remember this now. I remember this now. Wasn't <laughs> Yahoo involved in that? Reporting oh, on that? Maybe. Yahoo was involved in a lot of those. But yeah, like it was a book that she wrote talking about the way that she, through a specific uh, assistant coach, would arrange for companionship. <laughs> Not what you want. Not the kind of publicity you're looking for. No. Oh. What about you? Do you care? Um, I'm entertained Obviously by... not since you wanted Washington to hire him. Yeah, I know. No, it doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't bother me as much as I thought it was. Like, I thought I was really going to feel like it's just so gross. But I actually think... I think it's so out in the open that it's kind of just... I'm more okay with it. I, and you know, to go back to what you asked me about the difference between Urban Meyer and Rick Pitino is I think for the most part, nobody has any illusions about Rick Pitino. And I'm not saying Rick Pitino acknowledges what he's done or has shown any sort of humility or anything like that, because I don't, I, I don't like the guy. Like, but that was, I just, he's always had an enormous ego. Um, what I hate about, what bothers me so much about Urban Meyer is this sense that he is actually aggrieved and that people feel that he's somehow been victimized in all of this. Like, that is what drives me up up a wall. And I, I actually, I know it's a really close friend of my family. Their son played for him at Utah, and he loves Urban. Like, the dad and the kid, like, just absolutely loved him. So I think there is something, like, when former players speak that way about a guy, like, that says something to me. But the rest of everything that comes with Urban Meyer, like I'm just, I, I think he's the worst. Um, I, I think because Patino's seediness is generally accepted, I'm more okay with it. I'm going to tack one on real quick. Yeah. Um, were you rooting for Princeton? No. It's odd to me that people root for the Ivy League teams. Yeah. Nothing again. Hey, it's fun to watch the lower seed win, and you know, I'm not saying like cry tears for the the college basketball blue bloods who lose those games. But yeah, it's like, you know, they're going to, those, those Princeton kids are going to do some winning in their lives. It's okay if it doesn't it's, happen on the basketball court. So I can't, I can't figure out exactly why the Ivy leagues, like why people tend to feel that way about the Ivy leagues, whether it's the influence, like for people who don't know, like there is a very clear pipeline that exists and it's primarily in the Northeast where you have all of these prep schools that are very elite that are sort of plugged into all of these Ivy League institutions, but primarily like Princeton, 
and Yale specifically. Um, and there is this intense sort of, it's a very, they're incredibly elitist institutions. I don't know how else to say it. Like when I first started encountering prep school kids, it was when I was working at ESPN. So I was like 23. I, I generally don't, I'll throw Dartmouth in there too. I think Dartmouth kids are weird. Um, so I, I have a very different feeling about it. Like I, and I almost feel like I need to say like, I do know some people I like that went to Ivy league schools, but in general, when I, when I watch them play sports, I'm not rooting for them in any way because I'm like, you should at least experience some hardship in life. And maybe it's getting your teeth kicked in, in the first round of the NCAA tournament, like you housing, getting housed by 35, like you can go run the world later and cause our banking system to crash. But like for now, right now, like you're, you actually have to sit here and just get dunked on five different times. And that you can you can talk about the one time that you got smoked in the NCAA. So when they win, I'm just like, oh, you get this too? Like you you not only get that, but then you get to pretend you're the underdog? Like you are the most non-underdog types of people that I've ever encountered. And I realize I'm generalizing. But I feel that those are the kind of people who generalize too. The kind of people that go to that school. So I feel somewhat entitled to return the generalizations a little old little old princeton little old harvard <laughs> i'm just chugging along i'm just a 16 seed gosh gee golly fellas yeah yeah even brown kids man even the brown kids because that's kind of like the more offbeat of the ivy leagues <laughs> but, but like, it's still an ivy league school yeah yeah uh, no, i don't kelso high school had a running back who went to brown to play football Really? When I was in school. Was he a good dude? I have no idea. Didn't know him. Uh, yeah. Seemed like people thought highly of him. Yeah. I forget his name. Maybe, you know, that's why that's why you got to come back for the next episode. I'll remember the name <laughs> of the Kelso kid who went to Brown. Uh, it, is, it is a great day to subscribe to OnMontLake.com, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. How are things going? You're also writing for 710 Sports, I saw, or SeattleSports.com? Yes. Uh, so I'll be a... A this is I was saw this was a debate recently. When you say something is biweekly or bimonthly, does does that strike you as twice a week or biweekly is twice a week? Okay, because I saw someone posted like there's there's literally two different definitions. It could mean every other week or it could mean twice a week. Oh, um, you know what? I might be wrong because if you say something's biennial, it's once every two years, right? Yeah, which which also doesn't really make any sense, but. Yeah, uh, that's all a, a strange way of saying I will be I'll be writing for them twice a week. Um, one of those stories will be a story that's published at onmontlake.com and unlocked and free for everybody uh, that will also publish uh, on 710's website. And then I will write one uh, exclusive UW story for them per week also and make at least one appearance per week uh, on their air. So looking forward to that. You can. If you, if you're just not getting your fill from the podcast and from onmontlake.com, you can you can hear me on 710 now too. I'm excited about that. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm excited to read it. And to hear you. Who are you talking to? Bumpus and and Stacy? I think it'll vary. Uh my first my first uh, appearance was with them, but uh I think it'll be uh, they do a they do a Washington Wednesday. Yeah. Um and I believe that's in the afternoons. That means you might get to talk to a little bit, maybe occasionally Wyman and Stelton. Your guy Wyman, yeah. Love Dave Wyman. What's what's cooking at the dang apostrophe? 
Well, I'm writing something, which I believe I'm going to send to you as well if you're interested in it, uh, about my uh, desire to – or my tolerance for a scuzz bucket in Rick Pitino. Um, I've also got something that I'm working on for early next week about uh, the, the real scandal involving college sports was the enforcement as opposed to the way scandals were covered going back to – sort of one of my first years as a reporter at the Seattle Times when we investigated Jamal Crawford's uh, eligibility questions. I revisit all of the things that I looked at um, and am am scheduled to talk to Jamal about what it felt like to be chased uh, and have reporters uh, looking into his history and how that ended up kind of unplugging his his eligibility, his experience at Michigan. That's interesting. Did... um... Have you have you spoken much with him about it ahead of time? Like, do you know? Does he remember it real well? I do, and I've I've stayed in touch with Jamal, so I, I'm not sure entirely what he's going to say for, like, in in terms of the interview. But yeah, I mean, I, he was he was 19 years old, and there was a question about benefits that he'd received from a local businessman, a guy named Barry Henthorn. Um, and it became this big, huge production. And I think it was really disorienting time for he's at Michigan wondering when he's going to play again, wondering about his professional future. And you, you have things that get caught up. And I think looking back on that, like I have questions about the way and the, the perspective that was used within the industry of sports journalism. And at that point, like, newspaper coverage why were we scrutinizing the players adherence to ncaa rules as opposed to scrutinizing the fairness of those rules right like there's an interesting because for for a good i would say 30 years covering a scandal in college sports meant uncovering rules violations which is Mm -hmm. in itself kind of part of the enforcement apparatus right like, I'm not going to say I was a snitch because it's not like I was turning things over to the NCAA, but I was reporting things that the NCAA was interested in. Like, why? I have some real misgivings about that. Not that I think that, like, oh, I did something wrong, but I was like, if I was doing that again, like, I, I wouldn't approach it the same way at all because I think that you're, in, you're essentially accepting you're accepting the authority of the NCAA rules. And I'm not sure why anyone ever should have been felt compelled to do that. If, uh, if you were a reporter, like in the middle of a, a story like that, and for whatever reason, maybe you had information or you'd had, you'd reported something or had information that you hadn't reported. The NCAA like wanted to talk to you. Would you talk to them? No, no, that would be a flat. No, no, um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to think of, I, I would not, I would not tell them anything that had not appeared under my byline. You'd say you can read about it like everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there have been a couple media members who I know have been cited in NCAA reports. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. But it's pretty weird. Like one of them was a columnist at the Seattle Times. I believe when Blaine Newton was down in Eugene, there was an issue with a recruit like being stashed at his house at one point. 
<laughs> that was mentioned in an NCAA report. <laughs> That's uh, hilarious. It, it's pretty funny. <laughs> per Noonan, 91. <laughs> like, it was a while ago, and I can't remember the. I should look up the whole story, but I know, I know that there was. I know that there was also a time that Softy, Softy got invest. Like the NCAA called him because I think he was interviewing Jeff Lindquist, the quarterback. I think at the end of the interview, he said, "He's like, like, go down to the 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 doghouse or whatever the the UW bookstore or whatever store that he was in, and and pick out what you want and tell him Softy sent you." Somebody was listening to it and called the NCAA <laughs> <laughs> to report a rules violation, which which I think it, it technically is. <laughs> but I love I, I love soft. Like I have no issues with soft. The whole thing was really funny. Like could you could you get could you get could you get your school put on probation? Oh. Jim Moore got in trouble for wearing a cougar shirt to go interview Jonathan Stewart. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Jim Moore couldn't have gotten in trouble for that, right? It would have just been like... No, I think there was... I think think Wazoo called and told him, like, you can't do that. (laughs) 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 Because... And I... I mean, the newspaper obviously can't get in trouble. Like, you can't get in any sort of legal trouble. I should make that clear. Like, if violating a NCAA rule is not violating a law. Like it's, it's, it's not. And the, but I think, I think Wazoo called Jim and told him, um, don't, don't do that in the future. (laughs) I love like the little, the little changes they've, the, the NCAA has made to its rules in response to like the growth of social media. So coaches still can't acknowledge or speak about, a recruitable student athlete by name, but the NCAA has clarified in in the the past several years. Uh, they can like their tweets, so uh, and you can. I think you might be able to retweet them, even. <laughs> you yeah yes. Uh, let it hereby be known. You can click the little heart icon <laughs> when a recruitable student athlete <laughs> tweets that what he is what blessed. Can- to have received an offer from your institution. Can you, if you retweet it, can you do the big eyes? Like the, I, I don't believe you can quote tweet. <laughs> I think the line is drawn at retweet. If you quote tweet, you're going <laughs> to get those same people who listen to Softy and, uh, and call up the enforcement office saying, yeah. hey, that, I, the, the eyes emoji is not covered by NCAA rules. Yeah. That's 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 funny. Jim also wrote a column. Steve Schilling, when he was leaving Bellevue, wrote a column urging <laughs> urging Schilling to go to Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was so funny. It's hilarious. People were mad, and I I think Steve, when he was in high school, ended up writing a letter to Jim at the newspaper to say like you shouldn't feel bad about it. Like I thought it was funny. Like it didn't bother him, which is hilarious. But yeah. <laughs> Did the letter say, hey, don't worry, for me to go to the University of Washington, the head coach would actually have to, like, acknowledge my existence? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> God. Ugh. Huskies are back on the practice field next week. I'm excited to hear about that. Starting the 12 practice stretch here over the, the next four weeks, concluding with the spring game on April 22nd. 
Are we going to um, see some of the transfers out there? Yeah, I'll be out there observing. And I'll pass those observations along at onmontlake.com, where you cannot subscribe for a dollar for your first 12 months, but you can subscribe for $65 a year or $8 a month or become a friend be a of the friend program. Be a friend of the program. How many friends of the program we got now? I was just looking at 109 friends of the Hell program. yes. Hell yes. There's And there's room on that train. Believe me. Let's go. Let's go. So check out the site. Subscribe if you like it. Appreciate the support. We will talk to you next week.